Good morning. Uh, Laurel, I want to thank you for worship this morning. Um, I, I share this pretty consistently, that it's, it's a really sweet thing when we throw out kind of a topic to our worship leaders, uh, especially these that are doing the interim stuff, and uh, they trust that the Holy Spirit is going to lead them. And so, Laurel, when, when you said, I just keep hearing this word from the Holy Spirit about uh, just religion, that's like pinpointing the topic for this morning. Um, and again, all of the worship just really aligns well with what I think the Lord is going to teach us today through uh, the text of Isaiah 58. So I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to that chapter, Isaiah 58. Um, and we're still in our sermon series on the Sabbath. This will actually be really the last full message. Um, I'm praying about what the Lord wants me to, to teach on next week as we have For the Fatherless coming in concert. Um, I'll just remind you, a couple years ago, we had them lead us on a Sunday morning worship. They did one of their songs. Uh, sweet young couple, the Lord's been doing some things in their lives. And so this is a great opportunity for us to, to both support their ministry and, and then also them just to minister to us uh, next week. So I encourage you to be here on Sunday for that concert and a uh, short time of teaching as we uh, just see what the Lord wants to do in our lives. So let me give you a little bit of context about Isaiah 58 before we jump into reading the text. Um, so Isaiah has, has, there's been a lot of uh, controversy, and I, I say that um, kind of loosely in a sense, because liberal theologians tended to look at the Bible and the historicity of it from an angle that, that um, undermines the, the truth of who the writers are, the structure of the, the, the books themselves, uh, and Isaiah happens to be one of those. They're, the liberal scholars tend to come in and think that there's multiple writers to the book um, instead of just being written by Isaiah himself. Um, I disagree with those liberal theologians. I think that the, the scriptures clearly indicate who the writers are, that Jesus himself, when he was teaching, affirmed the writing of the Old Testament especially, and that means that we can trust the truth of God's Word from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, that it's been ordained by the Lord, that it is inerrant, that it is without error. Um, and if you want to read more about those things, go to our uh, doctrinal statements online and just check out what we believe about the Bible. But it's interesting because part of what Isaiah does is in his writing, he's, he, he identifies different points of time. As you can imagine, maybe you're creatively writing as you're reflecting back on the things that the Lord is doing and things that He had you say in particular, and He's putting the pen to paper that He captured key moments in a, in a certain structure. So it's our responsibility as interpreters to, to try to get those things right. So what's interesting ultimately about all that stuff, behind all the liberal theology and what we want to uh, hold about this, is this is the third prophecy of Isaiah that we're looking at. So this prophecy specifically focuses in on the city of uh, Jerusalem, Judea as the southern kingdom, I'm sorry, Judah as the southern kingdom, and it points out some very specific things about the suffering servant. So if you remember Isaiah 53, that's where this Isaiah prophesies about Jesus, the Messiah, this one who would suffer on our behalf. I've taught on Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 4. I love that passage. And you may say, why do you love that passage? If you, if you remember the teaching on that, it specifically talks about eunuchs being received by the Lord and their worship on the Sabbath being restored to them. Now, eunuchs, they were a, a people group that had been mutilated for service to leadership. And because of that mutilation, they were viewed as this, as this less than 
uh, pers- like a, a sub-person, like it, it, not, not below personhood, but they, they were so looked down upon that they could not do anything in a way that would reflect godliness. Now, I, I put that in context for just a minute. Do you, do, do you remember what happened in the New Testament when Philip was called to, to go out and meet a Ethiopian eunuch? And the Ethiopian eunuch was riding in some kind of carriage in the middle of the desert, and what was he reading? Remember? Say it. He was reading Scripture. He was reading Isaiah. He was reading the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, I can't prove this, but I would imagine that as Philip went to minister to that Ethiopian eunuch, he probably drove him directly to Isaiah 53 through 56 and talked to him about the restoration that would come to him because of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so the Ethiopian eunuch said, what must I do to be saved, basically? And and he was baptized that day by Philip because he believed by grace through faith in the message of Jesus Christ. That's why I love that passage because I think it speaks to the restoration that if a, a eunuch can receive every one of us can receive because of Jesus Christ. And the message of the prophecy of Isaiah is for us today. It's a reminder of the grace and the love and the ministry of Jesus Christ to us. And it's hopeful for us in a world, in a time where we need the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, all of those things uh, set the, the tone for us to remember that when we read Isaiah 58, that this context of the Redeemer has already been set And Isaiah knows who this Redeemer is going to be in the future. And the prophecies are going to be fulfilled. And this prophecy right here in Isaiah 58 is very specific to the people. But I think it's a good reminder to us about what the Lord really looks for in our worship. So, I I also want to mention this before I read. As we read through this, especially pay a little bit of particular attention to verses 13 and 14 that mention the Sabbath, okay? So that's part of the reason we're going we're gonna to be looking at this text is because of its mention of the Sabbath and the correcting on the teaching that, that Isaiah leads us to and the, the people there to. So let's, let's read Isaiah 58, ready? Here we go. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but it's going to be fun, okay? Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. You hear their religiosity? The the, the word that Laurel uses this morning, that's religion at its pinnacle. They're doing all the things well. Let's keep reading because we're going to see even more. They, the, they say, why have we fasted? And you see it not. So, so not only going in worship, but they're fasting. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed 
go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. Do do, do you see in that uh, prophecy the religiosity that is described? I'll be honest. As I've been working through this this text and praying over and trying to decipher some things, there were, there were some struggle points that I had, points where I, I just was like, what, what's going on? What's the tension here? How, how, are, how are things so, um, how, how is the Lord, or why is the Lord condemning them for these certain things? And as I continue to pour over that, I, I think things began to, to dawn on me, and the Spirit began to open up this text and help me see some things. And so I want us to, to work through this in a way I hope will help you understand these things and, and will be a way that the, the Holy Spirit speaks to us clearly about our own tendencies and our own need to walk rightly with Him. So let's, let's begin by uh, understanding a couple things really carefully. As we look uh, beginning back at verse, 50, uh, verse 1 of, of chapter 58, we read this, Cry aloud, do not hold back. This is instructions to Isaiah. He, he's being told, here's what I want you to prophesy. This is something, that I love that phrase, don't hold back. This, this is pressing for the people to hear. We cannot, uh, it's as if the Lord is saying, you cannot delay in sharing this message because the people are compromised. And so here's what he, he's told to say. He said, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Boy, that's what we all want to hear right away, Right? We're, we're a bunch of sorry sots, right? That, that we're just in, in the depths of our sin and we're struggling. And, 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 and I, I think Isaiah must have said, okay, I've been doing this before. I'm just kind of getting used to this. But here's the problem. The people were sinners. And we're going to look at this in, in just a moment, the, the extent of depravity and the issues there. And, and I, I think it sets the stage for what their problem really is. And here's what it is. Let's look at this again in verses 2 and following. He says, Yet they seek me daily. Wait, wait if, if I'm going time out, why, why my struggles and some of the confusion of understanding this? They're seeking him daily. That doesn't sound like transgression and sin to me. It sounds like people that are devoted to, to the Lord rightly at first, right? 
I mean, they're, they're doing this on a daily basis. There's some kind of semblance of practice that seems good, but there's a problem with their practice, and let's get into this, okay? And this is where religion starts to take over. They, they, it says, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. See, here, here's the problem. They're a nation that is actually hypocritical. I, I, I started thinking about this a little bit. They have actually become, and I'm going to use some modern language here, they've become entitled by their religiosity. They, they, they've come into this daily worship and, and putting these trappings on themselves, that, and when I say trappings, these things that look and appeal should appeal to the Lord, things that look right, things that make them look like they're righteous, okay? Not trappings of where they're caught in. It's, it's the, a, a garb. It's the way they're, they're dressed, the way they're acting. It, it's it's the, the, the beauty of what they're doing on the outside that make them appeal to one another as righteous. And they say, because of doing that, we're entitled to get things from the Lord. We're, we, we expect Him to honor us based on all of our practice because we're righteous, now, let's keep reading so you understand that I'm, I'm not pulling strings here or, or pulling something out of my hat. He says, that, uh, Isaiah, uh, the Lord through Isaiah accuses them of this. They, um, in verse 2, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. See, what they're doing is they're acting righteous, but they're forsaking the judgment of the God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. But he, he sarcastically says these things in verse 3 about them. They're, they're saying, um, because remember, Isaiah is speaking and he's putting these words in the mouth of the people, okay? He's, he's interpreting what their tone and response is because the people are saying, why have we fasted and you see it not? Well, wait a second. If we fasted right now, would the Lord see it? Absolutely. He knows all things. He's omniscient, Right? If we're fasting with right motives, would he respond rightly to us because of the right motives of that which we are fasting? Well, the answer is absolutely, because he's a good God. So, so they're saying, we're, we're fasting, we're entitled for you to respond. Look at what they say next. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you take no knowledge of it. <laughs> what does the Lord say about humble people? When people humble themselves, what does he guarantee to do? To honor them, Right? What does the Lord desire? It's humility in people. But when, when people elevate their own humility, what are they, what are they really doing? <laughs> Say it. It's, it's pride. Elevating our own humility is actually rooted in pride because we want our humility to be noted because we're prideful. Okay? When, when we get instructions actually about what fasting is to look like, what is fasting supposed to look like as far as others observe? people aren't supposed to know we're fasting. We're not to go out in public and go, well, I'm fasting today. Now, I know that, that there's times I've been on fast, and I've, somebody's asked me to meal, and I'm like, I, I don't want to tell you this, but I'm fasting. I can't eat. I can't participate in, in that. I'm not having coffee. I'm fasting from caffeine. You know, there's those kind of things. There's times you have to expose it. I get that. But if I walk in and say, hey, I'm, I'm on a fast. I can't do all this stuff, and, and it's a prideful thing, and I'm elevating my fast, that's a wrong motive. And that's what they're doing. They're saying, if we do all these things, we're going to be blessed. Now, here's, here's even further proof. Look at what happens next. In verse, uh, 
3 to halfway through, he says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Verse 4, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make you, your voice to be heard on high. Here's what's happening. These, these people are so intent on their fast being part of their routine that they have excused their mistreatment of their employees. They're so uh, excusing their grouchiness, their irritability, their, their uh, unwillingness to fast in private, that they're quarreling and fighting and excusing. Well, we're, we're, we're struggling with those things because we're on a fast. If we weren't fasting, we wouldn't abuse our employees, we wouldn't be quarreling with people, and we, we'd be getting along. But because we're fasting, because we're being righteous with the Lord, we're abusing people, we're, we're quarreling, we're irritable, we're angry, we're hitting people when they don't deserve it, and, and, but we're righteous because we're fasting. You, you see what's happening? These folks, not only entitled, but they're self-deluded because they're so focused on their own method of righteousness, rather than depending on the righteousness that comes through Christ, they have a false perception about what it means to be right before the Lord, and they think that they're owed something. And, and so, the Lord is, is condemning them for their lack of genuine worship. It's, it's serious. Now, let's, let's go back, and I want to quickly identify five things, okay? So, if you're taking notes, these are five things that mark the people that, for what they were doing that was wrong. Um, and I'm just going to run through these. First of all, they, they were, and, and again, think these, these things are not wrong in and of themselves, but their motives were wrong in them. They were seeking the Lord daily. Sounds good. Sounds right. So, sounds perfect, right? But it was done for the wrong motive. They were delighting to know His ways, but it was done out of their flesh. It, it was uh, uh, an effort that was really self-serving. They were third, asking of the Lord His righteous judgments. We, we want to be, and I think this, this comes uh, from a, that sense of entitlement, that they were seeking His righteous judgments to justify their own actions. See, if you're fasting for the wrong way, reasons and abusing people around you, well, Lord, we want your judgments to be uh, excusing our sins. They were delighting to draw near to God, but they weren't drawing near to God. That's the irony. That's the accusation. They're, they're saying, well, our worship, we're, we're coming into the house of the Lord and we're doing these things. We delight to draw near to God, but their, their efforts were actually preventing those things from happening because they were done in selfish ways for selfish reasons. And lastly, they fasted and humbled themselves. But the truth was they weren't really humbling themselves. These were false ways of worship. So let me point this out. Because I loved what one commentator said. He said that these things actually point to works righteousness. I thought that's a great statement. Because how many of us can be like them that we come in to worship and say, I've done all these things this week. I'm here doing all these things right now. Lord, be pleased with me because I'm, I'm good. Because all these things about me, I've set myself apart for, for righteousness. See, folks, the problem is that all of these things, the Lord knew the motivation of their hearts, didn't He? He knew that their hearts were, were not in favor of Him. They knew that, he knew that their hearts were actually for their own glory, that, that they were for their own 
benefit and righteousness. Now, I know when we do things right, those are byproducts. I know that when we trust the Lord, especially Christ and His work to make us righteous, that's where the joy of our salvation comes. And that's what we've been going over and over again, is that true rest in Sabbath comes not from our activity, but it comes from our reliance upon the work of Christ. And we're going to look at that in just a couple moments. So, it's about time for children to come down. Who's teaching today? I forgot to look and see. Maya, are you on? Maya's helping? Julie and Christy, y'all come on down. Boys and girls, y'all come on down. I see several of you. Julie, are you doing the teaching to start with? Christy's starting. Okay. Way to go, Christy. Good morning. Today we are going to be in Psalms 91. God is a mighty fortress. So today we're going to discuss God's protection. But first, can some of you tell me what types of things that we need protection from? Rain? Yes, weather. What else do we need protection from? Last night, the rain? Yeah. We have our... I'm sorry? Yes, the sun. Yes, AJ? Water. (laughs) Well, we know we need protection from some things, such as weather, which we've discussed, um, sickness, or even bad guys. But how else does God protect us? Today we will learn how and why God protects us from Satan and the evil things in the world. Okay. Today we'll be reading from Psalms 91, 1 through 8, and it's in the Old Testament. Um, And the way I would remember where it was is it was right in the middle. That's how I'd find it. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will, say the Lord, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Creepy. As Julie and I were going over this lesson, I thought of something that was really amazing. So last week, Mr. Brian was in the chicken coop and found two wonderful blessings. And we have two new baby chicks. And if you don't know me, I love my chickens dearly, (laughs) as you can tell. (laughs) I love them so much. And um, he came in and said, hey, we've got two new babies. And this verse, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. And it was the way that we found our babies. They were tucked up underneath the mama's feathers, 
and she was protecting them and keeping them warm and keeping them safe. And so I just wanted to share um, that wonderful blessing and how it related to me in Psalms. And that, that's what we're talking about, how God protects us. And it's a good picture of how God takes us. It, he's just, he covers us in protection. So you will not fear the terror of night, nor the error that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. So that was Psalms 91, 1 through 8. And now we have some questions for you guys. Y'all ready? All right. So first hard question is, what does God's shadow give us? (laughs) Well, God's shadow... Is, um, it gives us protection and um, shelter. The next one is, do we need to be near or far from God's shadow? Close, that's right, yes. We need to be close. We need to be near. Why would we want to be near to God? Protection. That's right. He's our shield, our protector. All right. How do we stay near to God? What can we do to make sure that we're staying near to God? Pray. Yes. We can be in constant prayer. We can um, read our Bible. All right. This one's going to be hard. What animal is used to compare God's protection? <laughs> a bird in verse 4. Where they referenced a bird. <laughs> Chrissy has her chicken. <laughs> All right. And then what does this teach us about God's desire to protect us? A chicken. <laughs> no, he wants to shield us from danger. Keep us safe. Like the baby bird. Yeah. All right. Well, now we're ready for our memory verse. I'm sorry? Oh, yes. Okay. So today's memory verse is Psalm 91.1. And as I say the memory verse, Miss Julie and I are going to do some hand motions. Okay? we got a few of them, so I want you all to follow along with us. All right. Ready? So whoever dwells in the shelter of the the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. It's not easy doing it with the microphone. (laughs) So let's do it one more time. Okay. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. Psalm 91.1. All right. Thank you. All right. Julie and Christy, thank you all so much. And uh, as, as they were sharing, um, I started thinking about 
that whole concept uh, of the imagery of the, the bird and the, the babies resting under the wings of the, the bird and thinking about, you know, Chrissy, I appreciate your transparency. Um, I, can I be sarcastic and silly for a second? Did you weep over your kids when they were born like you weep over your chickens? <laughs> um, don't answer that. <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's really, the, the Lord is, He's so kind to us because He gives us these images and illustrations of the things that we need to remind us of our tendency to, Jesse, as you said, get out of the sun, Right? I mean, who likes being sunburned? Oh, nobody's raising their hand. No, you don't, silly boy. Um, nobody likes to be sunburned, right? We like to be out in the sun to enjoy the warmth, but there's a point that we need to withdraw. We need to put sunscreen on, that we need to experience the shade because we learn that those things are painful. And the Lord in His goodness gives us those images and the, the truth of those points of restoration to remind us of His goodness towards us. And, and though we're in a, a place where, in Isaiah, where there's these hard truths that the people are learning, they're, they're learning that they can't be religious. They have to come back and depend rightly upon the Lord. And there's, there's a confrontation to that because, like sunburn, it reminds us next time we go out, right, to put sunscreen on, to cover our sin, skin, to wear a hat, to do something that protects us so that we are not experiencing the pain and the suffering, but instead we're experiencing the joy and the fun. Because I love going to the beach, but the worst thing is to go to the beach and get sunburned, and then you're spending three days inside because you can't walk around without being in total pain. It's, it's silly, right? So you, you learn to go, hey, I'm going to put sunscreen on, I'm going to exercise a little bit of wisdom, not be out at the high peak of the hours, and do some things so that I can enjoy those things that the Lord has created for me to enjoy. And, and what why we struggle, again, what we're looking at is our tendency to, to put on these modes and methods and say, well, we're self-righteous. Because I can put sunscreen on one time, right, and go, I'm good for the day. But what happens? It, it wears off. And, and I have to reapply. I have to be reminded of these things so I don't think that my self-sufficiency is enough. But, but we're all prone to that. Why are we prone to that? that? That was kind of not the sunscreen and all that illustration, but, but these things brought to mind. Why are we prone to need correction? Why are we prone to struggle just like the Israelites struggled? Why, why, don't, why do we look for these means of being self-righteous on our own, putting on the airs of these things? And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I just started going back. The reason is because of the fall of mankind. And I want to, I want to remind us of that from a, a, a couple of different perspectives. So if you have a, a marker in your Bible, put your ribbon in or whatever marker in Isaiah 58. And I want you to turn back to Genesis 2 really quickly. And let's explore a couple things about the, the fall of mankind. And I want to just remind us uh, of some of these things. So hopefully you're in Genesis 2 now. Starting in verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the, the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So there's, there's permission, okay? You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. And, and he said, in, in a sense, and I want to use this term carefully, there's free agency. You may do this. 
okay? It's, it's up to you how you want to do this. You can go to that tree or that tree. You go two trees, you know, different points. You can do one tree over and over and over and over, and then go to another one, because I'm imagining that there's different kinds of fruits, okay? And so they, they got their choice in this. Now, verse 17, but the tree of, knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, to, it is not good that man should be alone, and I will make for a helper fit for him. So we know what happens, right? Ultimately, Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes in and he tempts, uh, tempts Adam and Eve. They partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had free agency to choose even before Satan tempted them, right? That, that was a blessing that God gave. But here's the interesting thing about that free agency. In that, they were always dependent upon God. You, you get the, the profound truth of that? God had given them instructions, the freedom to choose to eat of any tree in the garden with excellent circumstances and consequences to that. They, they would thrive, they would enjoy the relationship with them. But if they acted upon the freedom where there was a boundary place to say, don't do this, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would what? Surely die. They knew the consequences. They, they, they had the free agency to operate according to the, the standard that, that God gave them. But here's, again, the reminder for us. God created them as with some level of independency, but it was with a boundary. Guess what? We still have a level of independency, don't we? But there's boundaries in place all around us. I, I share this often when I'm talking about the issue of sin and the law and how God has created laws for us to abide by. That they're natural laws that remind us of the spiritual law of sin and its consequences. I would love to fly. I wish I could fly a plane. I would love to be Superman and fly. If I had, you know, you get people asking you, if you had the superpower, what would it be? I'd want to fly. There's just something to me that's very magical and spectacular about it. We're talking about birds. Maybe that's part of it too this morning. I'm jealous of them getting to flap those little wings and, and take off. But God created a natural law to remind me that I can't fly. If I stood on the edge of the, the stage this morning and said, I'm going to watch y'all, I'm going to fly, what would y'all do? <laughs> Shay, especially, Nurse Shay would say, please don't. Especially if I decided to do the full stage dive out, I can do it. Would I fly? Well, I'd fly for a second, right? But in my weight, gravity, the natural law, would reflect that though I have the freedom to jump off the stage and define what flying is for that one second, gravity would prove otherwise, right? That flying is not what I'm intended to do. And my freedom is limited by gravity. I'm not totally independent. I, I, I can't do it. It's impossible. And the, the same is true, even more true, for Adam and Eve. They were created as free moral agents, but they, in that, there were limits to what they should have done, and they rebelled against God. And in that rebellion, 
we inherit a sin nature, we also sin, and we struggle with sin, just like the Israelites did. And we have a responsibility not to elevate our own self-righteousness because our self-righteousness doesn't accomplish purposes. It's like jumping off and saying, well, I flew, I was righteous for the second, but then I fell because I was only doing that according to the standard of law. The only way for us to be righteous is to, to depend upon the work of Christ. And so our tendency is to say, well, I flew. I flew. In, in my freedom, I flew. My pride elevated me, and I flew off the stage for that second. Aren't I great? That's a misconception. And to think, well, I'm entitled to fly. I'm, I'm not paying attention to the laws of God and responding rightly to those things. So what happens is, and I think this is where Isaiah comes back. So let's turn back to Isaiah 58 and see the course of this. I think this is where it's so important. The passage in Isaiah correlates to the fall and demonstrates which, the way in which we still work to cover up our spiritual weakness. We, we were constantly doing that. Like the Israelites, we did all these things. We fasted. We did this. We delighted in you. We did all these things. But the truth is, those are, are just masks. There are ways of us justifying ourselves and trying to overlook our sinfulness. I love this. Owen Strand, he's, he's, a, he's a professor of mine. Um, he said, humanity often seeks a mask, a lavish presentation, an avant-garde appearance to hide its heart of darkness. That's who we are. But he says this, and I think this is so appropriate, but there's no hiding from God. God strips away the mask. He calls, just like the Israelites, He called them out on their false understanding and misperceptions and their self-righteousness and their work righteousness. And He said, it's enough. This is not how it's to be. Let me show you the better way. So, let's look at the better way, starting in verses 6 through 7. And by the way, if you're ever dealing with someone about the social gospel, this is a great passage to go to and say, yeah, this is what the social gospels could, could really legitimately be, but we're not practicing it this way, okay? Th those who promote the social gospel tend to, to, to elevate human uh, power and authority again, not what is godly. So here's what he says, verse 6, is this not the fast that I choose? So he's saying, look, this is what's really right, to loose the bonds of wickedness. It, it's not about missing the meal. It's not about justifying your behavior when you're grouchy and irritable and angry and, and abusing people. It's about loosing the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke. By the way, we're going to see that word occur again in just a minute. When we think about the yoke, it's that which straps us down. It's, it's that which we should be freeing people of according to human means because the yoke of Christ is easy the burden is light because we learn from Him and we minister alongside of Him leading us. It's a different yoke, but it's an image that speaks to rest. We undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. It is, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness, righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, 
and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out on the hungry, or out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be what, like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What a picture! What a picture of the grace of God, of the restoration that comes through a right relationship with the Lord. As, As I was studying and thinking about this, here's the key. All of those things that the Lord says are proper, the bottom line is this. They're not a religious covering of sin. Do you get that this morning? They're not about religiosity. They're not about mask. They're not about self-righteousness. They're not about just doing these things. They're about a removal of the yoke of those things and resting in the hope of Jesus Christ. See, I think the tendency for us is to camouflage our sin with religious things. Instead of repenting of those sins and discovering the hope of the gospel. When, when I was thinking about this, I, uh, I, I started especially wrestling through this, the, the, some of the, these later thoughts in, in the passage, um, but I want to go back to this and point it out. In verse 11, it says, the Lord will be continually Will, be, uh, will guide you continually, satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. That passage is so beautiful. And I, and I started thinking about the practical implications of that. And I want to ask a question this morning. Where do you feel like your life is in a scorched desert place? Where, where do you feel like Things are are so dry that there's so much struggle that you need that. Because I think that question may point out where we might be coming uh, into a point of self-reliance, where where we're not really looking and exposing the mask and the the tendencies of ourselves to to put on these airs before the Lord, and we're trying to to make our works and our self-righteousness the key point. Because the Lord's desire is not for us to, to experience those dry places. He, he says that we will be so well watered, we'll be like a spring to those around us. That's beautiful. So, so what is preventing that? What is prohibiting that in your life? I dare, I dare say that if we really get down to it, every one of us has a point of struggle that the Lord is trying to reveal so that we would expose those things to Him, we would repent of those things and walk in the freedom and the joy of what that kind of picture conveys to us. Let's go a little bit further because this phrase um, I struggled with, again, just to be honest, and I I want us to get this picture, okay? Verse 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath. Now, 
that phrase, like, tripped me up big time. And I'm, I'm going to try to picture this. So, so I'm imagining a person walking, okay? So, so let's say my, my stool chair represents the Sabbath, okay? I get this picture of you're walking into the Sabbath and trying to do things rightly, and it says if you turn your foot back. What would that look like? In my, my first guess, I was like, it means this, to turn back and go the other way. I'm like, I, I don't understand. I can't get this. I, I, what does that really mean? It can't be right because we're supposed to enjoy Sabbath rest, right? So, so, so what does that turn your foot back from Sabbath mean? So hopefully this will help you. Do you remember when Moses appeared before the burning bush? What did the Lord say to him? Remove your sandals, for this is holy ground. The idea, I think, is much like that. that in, so if you can't see, I'll pull this forward a little bit. Hopefully you can see. That turn your foot back, it's almost like the, there's a trotting of the Sabbath. See, so when the, the people were exercising all these religious things and saying, we're doing the Sabbath, we're in good standing. It's like they're climbing up here doing this stuff and not using the Sabbath properly. And I'm not going all the way because I'm going to fall, and that would be disastrous this morning. So you get the image. So here's the idea, that they would stop misusing and abusing the Sabbath, but they would recognize, they would step back and recognize that the Lord has called them to a holiness that is good and is right, that they would stop abusing it. Now, now this, is, this is where I got really, really convicted, because I, I was, as I was studying, I read this author who said, they were, there was an avocation of focus about the Sabbath. And I was like, what does the word avocation mean? I had no clue, so I'd quickly go to Google and avocation. It means that they were looking, or avocation is an emphasis of the minor things. Okay? Now, that, that caught my attention. Because let's look back at the Scripture here in verses 13 and 14 and see what it says. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my day. What is Sabbath meant for? It's meant for the Lord's pleasure, right? For the worship of the Most High, the Glorious One. And if it becomes about my pleasure, that's avocation. That's, that's a focus on a minor business thing. Because what is the rest of the week for? Matt's business. And truly. Now, I want to be about the Lord's business throughout the week. Don't get me wrong. But, but the Sabbath is a day set aside. We call it the Lord's Day. We've been through that. For me to say, corporally, I come together with you to worship the Most High. But, but we have, and the people there have, certainly turned it into idle things. Things that are just minuscule. And I got really convicted when I read this because I started thinking to myself, how much of my conversation, how much of my attention, when I focus on what it really means to be in a, in a right relationship with the Lord, is about the most important thing, and that is my rest in Christ. It, it was convicting because I think too often I can talk about idle things, whether it be Things that I love, things that are good, things that aren't bad, but, but they're not the best, especially when I come together with you as a body. It, 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 it can be on the minuscule things of life instead of, what is the Lord doing in your life? 
How has the Lord blessed you this week? How was your communion with God this week? How did He satisfy you? How did He show His grace to you in the withered points of your life where you were watered well? And we don't weep about those things enough. We walk out in the world because we've not done it well, and we feel even more scorched because we've not done it good together. Folks, we need to be a body that worships the Lord together. You need one another desperately to point these things out, to call one another to the best things, not to allow the idle things of life to take precedence, but we would encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. That's Scripture. Instead, we we get caught up in the little mundane things. And it's not wrong or bad. It's just not the best. What is Christ doing in your life? How have you celebrated Him and His grace and His favor so that religiosity is not what the, the uh, guise for us, but it's the genuineness of what Christ is doing in our lives. So, let me point one last thing out. And I want you to hear carefully how, why the Old Testament is so great to preach, teach, study, enjoy, devour, hunger after, uh, just invest in. All of this comes, and I'm going to read the rest of the text in 58, and then we're going to go into 59 just a little bit. So let's start back in 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I'm just going to stop there. So I studied that because part of what I try to do is remember that chapter breaks and verses are man added, so we can like grasp and find Scripture quickly. I'm not so sure that chapter breaks the greatest. I'm not going to argue with those who set the canon for us necessarily. That's not my intent this morning. My intent is to say this, though. When we look at Isaiah 59, it points to the redemptive power of Christ. That passage right there and several passages in Isaiah 59 are actually quoted in Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10, and it's about those passages, and you can look all this stuff up later. In verse, let me actually read one more verse. In verse 21 of, of Isaiah 59, it says, And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, my words that I have put in your mouth, shall not depart out of your mouth, and, or out of the mouth of your offspring, or out of the mouth of your children's offering, offspring, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. So the Lord is taking Isaiah 58 and 59, showing this, this weakness, and then 59 showing this is the Redeemer that's to come, this is the promise, this is the new covenant that's to be yours forevermore. Because all the old covenants were not eternal. Remember, they're, they're being progressed to be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. That's why the author of uh, um, Hebrews comes in and quotes these things. And he's pointing out that this is all satisfied because of Jesus Christ and His work on our behalf. It's not about our religiosity. 
It's about our surrender. It's that simple. And the joy of it is when you surrender to Christ, you can't help but strip away your religiosity because you recognize that it's all sin, it's, self, it's pride, it's self-righteousness, it's attempts to work it all out. But we come back to the Lord with fear and trembling and say, Jesus, you're enough. The covenant that you've established, Lord, through Jesus Christ is enough. Let me take the yoke of my own efforts off. And let me rest in the best Sabbath. Jesus, you're my provider. Let me worship you, Jesus, because you're good. You teach me good things. And I am satisfied in you. It's not about self because it comes back when I'm satisfied in him, I'm glorifying him. And he's pleased. That's the one ultimate goal, to be pleasing to the Lord. So folks, I want to plead with you on two counts. If there's sin in your life, I don't care. I don't care what it is. I care that it's there. But I don't care what it is. I don't have to know. Okay? I don't want to know necessarily unless you need counsel about it. So I can help you navigate how to walk in genuine repentance for a long period and gain spiritual help. That's the only reason I would want to know. But if there's sin, repent. Don't live behind masks. Turn and surrender to Jesus. And believers, you say, well, we've already done that. You need to do it every day. I need to do it every day. Because the gospel is good news for me every day. And let us be this. Let us be a people that rest in Christ's work and encourage one another. That's the call, that we would co collectively set aside masks, strip those things away to encourage one another in right Sabbath. Because I need to hear how the Lord has watered your desert. I need to hear the springs and the wells in your life to be encouraged in my own continued walk. You need each other in that regard. So, Laurel, we actually have a little bit of time. So you come up and get ready. I want us to enter a short time of prayer, okay? And, and here's how we're going to do that this morning. If there's something in your life that's going on, Laurel's just going to come and she's going to play on the keys for just a couple minutes, just quietly, and then we're going to do a reprise, okay? As she's playing, you may need to move. We have a cross over here. Where we can kind of call that an altar. You can come use the steps. You can use the, the um, Lord's table setup that we have over there. The, the only reason I'm making those available this morning is for this reason. There's nothing magical that happens at those places. But there's something about us responding to the Lord by moving. I've been trotting on the Sabbath. Move off. Move to a position, a posture, just as a reminder, as a symbol of the Lord, of your repentance and your desire to get things right. We're going to lower the house lights if we can, and we're going to just make this a, a space that's sacred between you and the Lord this morning. And I want to ask everybody to stand. That way you're just ready to move. And you don't have to do that, but I was just want to invite you to do that as a symbol again to Him of a, a either repentance of sin or a new commitment to walk in a right way of obedience and surrender to Jesus' Lordship. Now, in just a second, I'm going to be quiet. This morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to do something this morning. Find myself. Find Steve, who was up here on the stage earlier. Find Jeff or Debbie Randolph. Find uh, Gina Ryan. Find Rob and Jesse Jones. 
find Michael and Maya Campbell. These are grow group leaders and leaders in our church uh, ministries that will help you gain counsel so that you can know what it truly and rightly means to be saved. Because we want you to know the hope of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So um, I'm going to be quiet. I want you just to, to respond rightly to the Lord. And then in just a minute or so, Laurel's going to lead us in a reprise this morning. Heavenly Father, help us to hear you, your spirit moving in each of us. Lord, I thank you that he moves in unanticipated ways like the wind does, and we see the fruit of that. Lord, this morning, my simple prayer is that we would be obedient and we would respond rightly to movement of your spirit. So, Father, we bless you and, and we commit to being obedient.